I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me today is Andrea McArdle. She is a graduate of Ohio State University. Uh, She ran collegiately for them, has moved into the trails, has been in Albuquerque, Rio Rancho for a little while now. And, you know, thank you for joining us. Oh, you know, I thank you for joining us. But I also want to mention part of the Topo Athletics uh, elite team recently. So thank you for joining us. (laughs) Of course. And so my first question is, how did you get into running? I started running back in seventh grade, but I also thought I was a sprinter then. So I was racing in the 100, the 200, and the 400. And eventually, due to my quick speed, they had me go up until the 800. And that's when I joined the cross-country and distance squad. And it just kind of took off from there, and I never really stopped. Was that all within seventh grade that you ended up moving from sprints to mid-distance? Yeah, about halfway through the season, they were like, yeah, so your 22nd 100 should probably get you in the 800 or something. I was like, (laughs) oh, okay, whatever works. (laughs) So yeah, I moved up and did, I think I only did the 800 in middle school, but it was fun enough where I was like, I guess you could convince me to do cross country. (laughs) well it is interesting uh you know when as a coach and being out there with kids you know what they think they can do as opposed to what they might be better doing and trying to manage that and still keep it fun so i'm i'm sure that was uh an interesting transition for you i don't know if you had friends that were sprinters and that's what kind of drew you towards it as well no, I when we did those state standardized gym tests where you would do the the dash with the erasers and the one mile time trial. I would just always like beat everyone, and so I just assumed I was supposed to be a sprinter. But fifth grade gym stats compared to seventh grade reality was very different. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what what was that like when you made that transition? um you know into cross country because that's always an interesting one where you think like okay 800 because that's still kind of sprinting but cross country takes it to that that next level it was very challenging i actually walked my first cross country race a little bit (laughs) my mom saw me and was like what are you doing i'm like it's hot i'm tired (laughs) so it was a little bit of a slow start to get into it but Eventually, after a little bit of hard work and a couple years to really get into it, I blossomed a little bit more, thankfully. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Does, uh, was it a, a middle school cross-country team or, or did, was it in high school when you joined? I joined in eighth grade and that was only a two-mile distance. And then in high school, we moved up to the 5K. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's pretty similar to how it is here now i know when Mm -hmm. i was running i ended up running with the high school team so it just can vary yeah 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 it's awesome that we have the opportunity to do that here that's as far as i know none of the cleveland schools did that oh okay i didn't know that either so but yeah i'm sure you two miles is just a little bit easier to uh wrap your head around especially you know when when you're going from track and there's at least the mile so Right. I do remember our coach had us run three miles one day at practice, and I was so mad. I could not believe they wanted us to run more than what we were racing. It, I was like, this is ridiculous, which now is very funny to me. But uh, yeah, I, I really fought tooth and nail for that three miles. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm not happy with this. <laughs> I can only imagine what uh, training was like in in high school then when you were um, probably running, you know, several miles more than the 5K race distance. Oh, yeah. Eventually I got it and complied a little bit more. But uh, yeah, the 13-year-old me did not understand why we would have to run further than the race at all. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, and, and so you said you kind of blossomed a little bit, you know, take me through high school. What was cross country and track like, um, you know, in Ohio? Yeah, so freshman year, I started off, my, my high school coach always likes to say I'm the 10 minute girl. So my first race in high school was 28.52. And by the end of my senior year, I ran 18.48. And so it definitely started off a little bit slow. Um, I just wasn't really in it. I think I was more interested in hanging out with my friends who happened to be on the team and didn't really understand the principles of putting your head down and doing the work. I think once it got challenging, I just kind of gave up a little bit. But luckily, my coach is from high school is a great guy and was able to really show me that a little bit of hard work and dedication can really take you places. And so from freshman year onward, I just kept progressing every year. So I think I got down to about uh, 24 high at the end of freshman year. And then coming in the sophomore year would start off around 25 and lower my time from there. And so every year it just kept getting better. And senior year, I had a goal of, I just want to break 20 minutes. That would be so, so awesome. Well, the first race I ran 20, 50 something. And I think by the second or third race, I had run 19 high. And so we were like, well, let's readjust these goals. Like, you know, you can really surprise yourself. And I ended up uh, qualifying individually for state, which in the Cleveland area is huge because there's just so many kids. And we had really stout athletes in my regional, you know, uh, Hannah Nezabor, who ended up running at Georgetown. You have just like a lot of studs, you know, we had girls running 17 mid in high school. So it was really challenging to be able to get out of your regional at that point. Yeah, that sounds tough for sure. And what was the, because uh, you've run here and we'll get into to helping with, with coaching out of Rio Rancho as well. So you've seen some of the high school courses here. How do they compare to what you were running in Ohio? Oh, it's night and day. It's actually very interesting. We would run on golf courses a lot and just around a park, you would be able to get, you know, maybe a two lapper or the side of a college campus would sometimes let us do a course. So it was always just these super lush mode green spaces. So here it's, it's interesting, like the, I really like Academy's course, Rear Rancher's course is tough. Um, then you have the course over by where they do the Metro Championship. I think those are awesome courses and I would have loved to run those in my day, but we just, we didn't have anything like that. Oh yeah, it's it's funny trying, you know, when I talk to some of my kids and they're looking at these times from other states, I'm like, you guys have some tough courses and we're at elevation you know to add to that but you mm -hmm. know the courses are you know like you said I mean you have to have strength too whereas you know a flat mode golf course without a ton of elevation you really can focus a lot on that speed I mean you have to have that endurance too but it, it, it is almost two different um, ways of training Oh, definitely. I mean, we had some courses that were notoriously hilly, but it's definitely way easier to suffer through a climb at 600 feet of elevation compared to 5,000. So that's <laughs> another thing that I, I've tried to tell the kids, like, don't compare the other states. It's like a different ball game. You know, they at one point they were asking me what it took to make it to the finals at state in the mile in Ohio. I'm like, you, d you don't want to know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> under five flat <laughs> and they're like what like different ball game don't compare right again i mean that elevation is is a huge part of it as well but like you said i mean just just the competition you know when you go to even just texas you know because it's for me it's a little bit i i know that a little bit more there's so many kids running you know you're you you have to elevate to that mm-hmm Definitely. So, yeah, so you obviously, like you said, you blossomed in, in cross country, dropping your time 10 minutes over those four years, which is always, I mean, as a coach, that's, all, you know, 
that's a that's the dream you want to see kids make huge jumps like that and as far as track how did how did that go track was fun i mainly did the 800 mile and then got on the 4 by 4 once in a while i was supposed to do a couple 2 miles when i was a senior but I had such terrible stress fractures in my tibia that they would let me run an 800 on a relay once in a while because we have the 4x8 as a main event in Ohio. So I would try once in a while just to get us a, a spot into postseason, but it was just kind of a wrecked season at that point. And my junior year was a similar situation where just midseason the shins just couldn't hold it together. So... Unfortunately, track probably didn't shine as much as it could have. I think I ran around 520 in the mile, but I probably, with a healthy body, could have done a lot more. So I guess we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to look back and kind of wonder, you know, have those what ifs for sure. Because like you said, you, it's something you can never go back and actually test for sure. Mm -hmm. But... You eventually, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, you, you ran for Ohio State University. When did you kind of decide that you wanted to continue this in college and what took you or kept you, you know, at Ohio State? So in my junior year, I got a few letters from some D3 schools just expressing some interest and if I also was interested that they'd be willing to set up a meeting and not that I wasn't interested but I just never really pictured myself running in college and so I didn't put too much emphasis on it but then probably the summer going into my senior year I started to see how everything was coming together and my mom was actually the one who was like you should really look at this and not just small schools but where can you go and really excel and challenge yourself. And so I looked at a few smaller schools in Ohio, and then I also looked at Akron pretty heavily. But a lot of my family has gone to Ohio State, and as a an Ohio-born person, it's, you know, we bleed scarlet and gray. And so I really wanted to run at Ohio State, and I also knew that if for whatever reason running didn't work out, I would be very happy still being at that school can probably compared to the other ones I was looking at. And so I just bombarded the coaches with emails and calls. <laughs> I was like, please, <laughs> please consider me. And they eventually had me out for a visit and I verbally committed as a walk-on from there. Well, that's great. I think that that is, I think, so important for for a lot of kids to kind of realize like, if you want to go somewhere, you got to reach out and you've got to, you know, put that initiative in there for sure. Because, I mean, even if you're good, you're not always going to get recruited by the places you want. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure that was a little, I don't know if scary is the right word, but, you know, putting yourself out there to, to be noticed, it can be hard. Oh, yeah. The fear of rejection is always going to be there, but... I was just going out on a limb and was like, you know, it'd be really great if this worked out. But if not, I have other options. Or, you know, at the time that I was starting to look into it, I didn't have to run in college. By the end of my senior season, that had changed, like, must run in college. This is very important <laughs> to me. Um, but I definitely think being able to put yourself out there and being an advocate for yourself is really important because there are millions of kids throughout the country running and a coach cannot see all of your stats. It's just impossible. So if you're really keen on running at a certain place, you've just got to sometimes get the conversation going yourself. Um, and I also think it depends on what the kids are looking for. I, one of the other reasons I chose Ohio state was some of the other schools I looked at, I would have walked on and just been in the top three girls automatically. And, while that's really awesome, I wanted the challenge of starting from the bottom again and working my way up. Like that's something to me that really lights a fire under me. And I just didn't want to have an easy road. I wanted to have a little bit of a challenge ahead of me. I think that's a great way to look at it. I mean, 
walking on is definitely a challenge. And, Mm -hmm. you know, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, what, what is, what was the experience of being a walk on versus, you know, some of the other girls or guys that were, you know, they're on scholarship and, and, you know, I don't know if they had more attention from the coaches or, or how that looked, you know, at, at that place at that time. My experience was a little interesting just because when I first got to Ohio State, I still was dealing with a little bit of the injuries from my senior year. Like my shins weren't completely healing. I was so out of shape because I had taken like two months off and could only run up to three miles essentially. And so I just came in worlds behind everyone else and it was a little bit frustrating Luckily, there were, I think there were 11 girls that came in with my class, and four or five of them were also walk-ons. So luckily, Ohio State, well, in some regards, I wish we did have more funding, but in the other regard, it's nice because it's not 10 scholarship athletes and two walk-ons. So it's a little bit of a mix, which keeps it nice. There's not like that hierarchy dynamic that we have. But at the same time, the coach, my freshman year, definitely wrote me off and was a big reason of why I ended up quitting my freshman year. I quit um, around spring break. I just lost my love for the sport, could not feel motivated to challenge myself. I just was so behind the other girls and it was just a really defeating time. And so I decided to take a step back and leave the team because I just was so unhappy with how things were going. Did you continue to run and train during that time or or were you completely off of running as well? I don't think I ran for three, maybe four months. Like I just, I was so jaded from it. I had no joy in running and I would still work out a little bit, but I was the elliptical person then. I'm like, this is so weird. I've never just gone to the gym and like lifted and gone on a stationary machine and felt content with that. But I had just lost so much of the spark with running that I really needed that much time off from it to be able to come back to it. And what brought you back to it? My sophomore year, I was living with three of the girls that were still on the team, and I think seeing them blossom a little bit that year, um, the coach we had my freshman year had actually been let go at the end of that year, and part of me was like, oh, I should have just held out for another quarter. Like, I probably could have done it. I would have been miserable, but I could have done it. (laughs) And so hearing that he had been let go... And that they were bringing in Kadivas Robinson, who I don't know how familiar you are with him, but he is just inspiration after inspiration. And so that, I think, was a really great move on Ohio State's part because it was something that we needed greatly. Like The dynamic between the the teammates and just the dynamic between the coaches and the athletes was just not really healthy. And I think Kadivas was able to really bring a positive spin to that. And so that fall, I just started training like crazy. You know, I looked at my my high school running program and was like, all right, I'll start off at 30 miles and then we'll go to 35. We'll start doing tempos. And uh, I eventually just emailed him and told him the situation and asked if he'd be willing to meet with me and talk about coming back. And luckily he said, sure, if you can keep up and you can hit x y and z parameters i'd be happy to have you on the team that's amazing i think it's so Mm -hmm. awesome when a coach does that at that level and is open to it and open to growing their sport because it's not going to hurt them right but sometimes it it feels like that (laughs) that's how they take it you know it's and so I, i that's so amazing that you're able to have that opportunity to to try again Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't thank him enough. I don't know where I would be if he would have said no way, like you had your chance and you lost it. You know, it's just crazy to think how things would have panned out from there. Right. And and so how did that go that the second try walking on? 
It was interesting in a very different way. Kadivas was more about the overall athlete mindset. And so we had to be able to do 20 pull-ups. We could do 50 push-ups. It was a, a, uh, a season where I was so, so fast, but not necessarily endurance fit. So it was just a completely different dynamic than what we were used to. But it worked out. I mean, I ran some times that I never thought I had in me at that point. So I'll definitely take it. <laughs> <laughs> and so you ended up, uh, obviously, you you made the, the team. Um, you know, were you running as an official part of the team your, your sophomore your year? Or did that come your junior, senior year? No, he let me he let me compete with a jersey at the indoor meets my sophomore year. Oh, but okay. um he basically just said like we can give this a go. You'd be a walk-on regardless, so it's not like we're putting you know, we're not having you sign a scholarship contract and then having to renegotiate, but he's like if you can if you can hang in practice and you can dedicate your time, like I'm willing to have you here. And so I was able to hang with the girls and yeah, it uh it worked out great. That that that's pretty awesome. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so when you finished up your time at Ohio State, what brought you to New Mexico? <laughs> I read an article when I was a senior in college that on average you live within twenty miles of your parents. And I just said no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Cleveland, like absolutely love it. But I just knew I needed a little bit more. And so I started looking at jobs in Colorado, Utah, Oregon. And I happened to be working in a uh, invasive plant species lab when I was at Ohio State. And we would come down to Katy, Texas, which is just outside of Houston, and do some, you know, week to two week long surveys on these plots that we had down there and when we would go down there we would also meet a couple people from UNM that happened to do a postdoc together and so at one point so I graduated in December of 15 and that spring I was just working as a lab tech for the same lab that I had worked on when I was in school and he had mentioned that someone at UNM was hiring for a greenhouse keeper and he knew I was trying to get out of Ohio so he was like I think if you applied, you'd have a really good shot. And I applied and moved two weeks later. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, that's quick. Yeah. And it's funny because I kept telling my mom, like, I'm applying to out-of-state jobs. Like, this is this is your time to prepare for this. But then once I told her I had the job, she was like, wait. So you're moving. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, this is all happening. <laughs> <laughs> and what did, how much did you know about New Mexico at the time and, and where you were, you know, applying to and coming to? Oh, I had never even been. <laughs> I, uh, the first time I came to New Mexico, I ended up changing a flight from California. And I either had to stop in Phoenix or Albuquerque. And I ended up having the flight stop in Albuquerque and I was here for like four hours and then I flew back to Cleveland. So that was, I was like, well, I should probably see it before I actually sign a lease somewhere. And uh, I saw it. I ate a really great green chili breakfast burrito and was basically sold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is uh, definitely different, you know, from Ohio, a little drier, I assume. Yes, a lot drier, a lot more brown. Um, the one time I was flying home, I'm looking, and I was flying into Chicago, and I'm looking down, and I'm like, there's no way we're over the lake right now. And then someone next to me says, those are trees. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's so many <laughs> trees back home. I kind of forgot. <laughs> so very opposite landscapes, but I think that's why I appreciate it down here. Right. Well, and, and it, it was interesting. You, you said you were talking, you were looking at places like in Colorado and Utah and um, Oregon, and, and those are very 
uh, those places are known for being very outdoorsy and obviously New Mexico is as well. And so was that something like that you were kind of looking for was someplace that you could be outdoors and, and active as part of it? Yeah, I think the mountains have always intrigued me, especially I had never really seen mountains until I was in high school and I was blown away. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've just always been intrigued by how beautiful the scenery is. And it is nice that people are so active. Like sometimes people from back home will ask me why I even like it out here. I'm like, it's just such a different lifestyle. Like there are so many different ways to be active in Albuquerque. Whereas we have a great Metro park system back home and you have the Cuyahoga national Valley. But if you want to go on like a mountainous hike, you've got to go to the Smokies or go down the, um, the foothills of the Appalachian down in like Hawking Hills. And it's just, it's not so readily available. So yeah, that was definitely a big draw to have a more active lifestyle. And so when you, when you got here, obviously you're, you're working and, uh, I know you started working with Sal out of Rio Rancho, you know, as, as an assistant, how did you end up finding that? Was it something you were kind of thinking about when you moved out here as, as well as, you know, in your profession? So I had a, this like idea of wanting to do some form of coaching for a while. I thought maybe collegiate coaching could be really interesting and exciting, but I didn't have any experience. And so I wanted to work with some high school kids and see if that was interesting. And I actually was talking to Phil Keller and he had mentioned that I should email Sal because to get to his school would have been like a 45 minute drive and Rio Rancho is not close to Albuquerque, but it's a little bit better. And so I emailed Sal and we had a little phone conversation and it just ended up working out perfectly. And I've, I mean, I've had a blast working with him. I, he's, he's pretty awesome. I, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had him on, I've known him, uh, since he was a coach at Pecos, actually, I, I I think I first met him when he was running in, in college and I was still in high school. So I've mm. kind of had, an, you know, he's been around <laughs> my circle for, for a while, but I, I think he does an amazing job in um, coaching and, and building up his athletes for sure. And so I'm sure you learned a lot, obviously from your previous coaches, but, you know, spending time with him and working with him as well. Oh, I learned a ton. And what's really nice about Sal is he was willing to let the assistant coaches put input into what the kids were doing. You know, it's not just his plan and his plan only. He'll talk to us and be like, what do you think about this? And that's really nice because it makes you really feel a part of the journey and not just riding on the coattails of someone else. So he was he's definitely been really great to work with. And it's never a dull time with him. <laughs> <laughs> And how did that work into your into your training? So I'm assuming when you moved out here um, after finishing up kind of OSU and your eligibility, like you've you continued running through that time. Yeah. So the spring before I moved here, I was training for a marathon because obviously as soon as you graduate college, you've got to do one. (laughs) (laughs) I so I ran. Well, I didn't finish that one. It was let's see, I think it was 33 degrees and raining and 20 mile per hour winds. And I got hypothermic and just, yeah, it was, it was all the things that could go wrong in one day. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it was rough. But uh, I took a few weeks off, moved here, and then just started kind of getting back in the groove of training. That summer, I was actually living out in corrals. And so I had all those dirt levees to work off of. And that was super fun. And yeah, I basically just ever since that block, my freshman year of college, I just been running as much as I can. And so what did that training look like as, as you started, you know, becoming an assistant um, coach, a volunteer coach over at Rio Rancho? And were you doing workouts on your own and some with the kids or, or how did that look? 
I was mainly using the practices as a way to get doubles in with the kids. Um, sometimes I would help pace the uh, JV girls or the C team and just kind of help get them along. Like it's, you know, set a pace and just have them follow me. But I didn't jump in many workouts. The one I do always jump in when I have the chance is the Huron Sioux time trial. It's a painful but amazing three and a half mile loop out in Rio Rancho. And the last mile is this real gradual steady climb that just sucks your soul. And <laughs> that's always one that I'll jump in. Um, so that's always a good one. That's awesome. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, uh, we do it before cross country starts and in, I believe February every year. So it's a standard one for sure. That's awesome. I love those standard, you know, kind of loops or runs that, you know, every team has because they're just, I don't know, you you know in some of those that they're just going to hurt, but you're familiar with them so you can kind of go back and gauge yourself over or gauge your runners, you know, over those, over the coast, course of four years or year to year. So I, I think those are those are fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. St Sal has all the stats of the freshman fastest time on the boys and girls team. And then you can look back and see what you did the previous time. Like, it's definitely really fun to be able to compare your efforts on that one. That's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, so you're you're working with that and, and helping out. And at some point, you started making the jump into ultra marathons. So when did you decide that that was something you were interested in and, and wanted to try? The trails have always intrigued me, but I used to say, like when I first moved here, that when I retire from the roads, I will do trail running. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would go meet the Dukes at either Copper or Spain on Saturday morning sometimes, and it's just really fun. I love that undulating terrain. And then I eventually started running in the like the east side of the mountains a little bit more and uh the first summer i was here just went on a bunch of trail runs and kind of got hooked and i signed up for mount taylor for 2017 but i was on the wait list and i think i was maybe like 80th like not really a lot of hope on getting in and so i just kind of wrote it off didn't really train just played in the mountains and then the week before the race Ken Gordon messages me and says, if you're still interested, you're like up on the wait list. And I'm like, uh, sure. Like I can't pass that up, I guess. <laughs> and so I did Mount Taylor with a horrible head cold, not ever running over 22 miles. And it was the, the year where it was super fog packed in and a bunch of snow. And so you can't see your way up to Mount Taylor. I could maybe see 20 feet in front of me. So I'm just taking cold medicine and Tums and eating a waffle. I'm just a trot up the mountain. <laughs> it was quite the experience. I cannot imagine. I mean, there's a lot of stuff with the ultras that I, you know, talking to people and trying to wrap my head around is just so partially intriguing and partially like, no, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you have to be a little crazy to be into it, but it's a really fun challenge, and I think it's a really great way to see the terrain. I mean, running has, like, taken me all over the place, and, you know, I've been able to go out to Virginia and all these races in college, and to be able to continue making these races more of destination points outside of that is really fun. I, I think that's great, and that's part of what intrigues me, and, and I mean, i absolutely love the mountains as well and being able to explore and i just i can't imagine kind of your first ultra you know a 50k and and being surrounded by fog like that it, it must have felt so <laughs> surreal especially with the head cold oh yeah no it was like a dream and then the i did the race again the following year and remember at one point saying to myself this is what this looks like <laughs> <laughs> so definitely uh was good to come back and be able to get a chance to see the views 
I, I bet. Um, and you, but even though you had a head cold, you still finished pretty high up there. And I think the next year when you went back, I, I believe you were the first woman, if I um, remember correctly, from the ultra sign up site. Yeah. So I was third my first time and then I won it the following year. Now that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I definitely can't complain about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so you had you had obviously been in, in Albuquerque for a little while. You know, how long did it take you to adjust to the altitude, you know, to be able to then go and do something like an ultra where you're 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 going up even higher? It took me a while to adjust to the five thousand feet in the city, but I I can't really say all of that is necessarily altitude just because I took so much time off and then moved here. So I was already working with being a little bit out of shape plus the altitude, but I probably started to feel really fit. Um, so I moved here in June and I felt really fit come October. Um, so I think that's a little combination. I would say the altitude started becoming more normal by August is when I started like doing workouts and not feeling like I was completely oxygen deprived. <laughs> <laughs> but then going up to these higher elevations, like for instance, Mount Taylor's all above, I believe 9,500 feet. And then you go up to 11.3. And so that just takes exposure. Like you want to, before you're going into a race like that, you definitely want to have exposure to the high altitude because it kind of screws with your head and like you can get a headache really easily or it sometimes can mess with your appetite. So you don't want to eat and then you're calorie deficient. So the more exposure you have to those high altitudes, the better prepared you're going to be for a high altitude race. That makes sense. I can see that. And and I'm sure, you know, you, you talk with kind of this experience. You've obviously done uh, a few of these ultras um, since then, and I know that uh, Jesse Armijo, who I had on a couple of weeks ago, he he talked about you know you being there as part of his uh, crew for his recent hundred miler, and so you know how you've been able to coach with some high school students, but you know then being able to help out a friend, kind of walk through like like this type of thing. Like, how much fun do you have being able to have these conversations and just you know, help people grow in, in how they want to and reach goals that they want to get. Oh, I love it. I could talk about this stuff for hours and being able to be a part of Jesse's journey to his first hundred mile finish was incredible. And it was really inspiring. You know, I've never gone that distance and seeing him being able to overcome triumphs and you get into some dark places when you're in a hundred mile <laughs> but you also have to know that there's light on the other side of that darkness. And so like Jesse was in a really bad spot coming into the last eight station. Like I'm pretty sure I was like, yay, 10 more miles. And he did not say anything to me, <laughs> <laughs> but then we left that eight station. He was on a mission. So, you know, he might've been in a low 20 minutes prior, but once he, once he kind of got to that last eight station and knew we had to just get home, he was ready to go. So it was really great being a part of that. And I think some of my friends who have never done the ultra side, I'm always encouraging of it because yes, it's a lot further than what they have run, but it's a completely different experience. You're not running your marathon pace for an extra couple hours. Right. So, and you have like such beautiful scenery around you. Why wouldn't you want to enjoy that? I, I, yeah, I, I think I think it's something that everybody should experience. I, I plan on experiencing it at some point. Don't know if I'll ever do a hundred miler, but <laughs> you know, it just it, like you talked about those dark places, and you know, when you're running even just a mile, you know, if you're going all out, you're going to have moments in that, you know, four minute, five minute, six minute. 10 minutes, however long it takes you, where you're like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. I want to stop. And I just, I can't even wrap my head around. Now, now think about that for 50 miles or 62 or, or a hundred. And you're going miles thinking this. And then 
all of a sudden a, a switch flips and now you're like okay i'm 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 good again i'm not, like not good but i can finish this <laughs> Yeah, definitely. The only thing I have to compare it to is when I did the Silver Rush 50 mile a couple summers ago. And I got into a situation where I was not eating. Like I went 25 miles with a slice of watermelon type of not eating. And uh, that ended up just really taking its toll on me. And around mile 30, I was on this cloud nine high passing people feeling great and then mile 40 hit and I like started crying it was like I'm so far from the finish <laughs> but you just then the mile later I was fine you just go through these waves and you just have to roll with it and know that there is good on the other side I I think that's so awesome like kind of just and that's how life is right you're gonna you're gonna have these ups and downs throughout your life and you just have to realize like I can I can push through and I can, you know, this may be hard now, but it's not going to be hard forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ultra is a really great comparison to what we've been going through the last year. I mean, the pandemic has been really challenging on a lot of people, but eventually it will not be so challenging and it will be OK again. So something to keep in mind. I, yeah, I think that's a great point. And so I want to go back for for a minute. And, you know, you talked about kind of through high school where you were dealing with these injuries and your shins and it kind of, you know, transitioned with you into the beginning of, of college. And so now here we are, we're talking about you doing ultra marathons and you haven't mentioned anything about those injuries. Um, how did you... I guess, you know, figure out what was going on. Was it just building up strength or, or knowing your body to like when you needed to do certain things to take care of it? How did you move past, you know, I guess the injuries? So I think part of the problem in high school was I would come off of cross country feeling fit and running every run as a steady state or a workout. And so part of that demise was doing too much hard work too often and then just trying to race through it, which is always the smart decision. And um, <laughs> I think what I've learned is when a little niggle pops up, it's so much better to take a couple days off than months because taking the months off that I had to in between senior year of high school and frankly, like November of my freshman college year, that sucked. Like it was awful. I was not happy. I missed running. I was sick of the bike, sick of the pool. And I just didn't want to ever get there again. And so I think listening to my body and realizing when something's a little bit wrong and addressing it then and not letting it go a couple of weeks has definitely been something to help. Um, luckily, I haven't had any major injuries really since college. Like my shin flared up a little bit that the year I came back, but I think it was just from so much intensity in such a quick amount of time. And then after that, it was a little niggle here and there, but you know, IT band. Well, I guess I did have a stress fracture in my foot for a minute there, but that was, <laughs> that was at the end. And it was like, all right, I'm graduating in two weeks. We can push through this. Um, but yeah, I think listening to your body is really key. I, uh, I happened to have a little bit of a foot injury this fall and I don't even know exactly what happened. I was running in Park City and rolled my ankle really bad and then was fine for probably two weeks. Like I just kept running and, you know, the first run or two felt a little bit sore, but after that it was perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden I just couldn't put weight on my foot. Like I did the Lobo Cancer Challenge 20 miler and then I just couldn't put any weight on my foot the next morning and was like, I don't understand what happened here. And I think that was a little instance of I was so overtrained because races kept getting canceled and I just kept trying to hold on to fitness instead of taking downtime. So it didn't matter what was going to happen. My body was on the verge of breaking. So 
as annoying as it was to take three weeks off, I think I really needed it. <laughs> well, and I think it, it is interesting, you know, as a coach and, and having those experiences, being able to kind of share that with, with the kids, you know, um, learn from my mistakes type of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I, I know when I when I'm talking to the kids, sometimes they're receptive to that. Sometimes they aren't and they continue to do, you know, what they're going to do anyway. But I mean, do you find your experiences, you know, helping you in, in those coaching situations? Yeah, I would like to think so. Like sometimes we have kids that they'll complain about things in jest, but then when you ask them actually actually what's wrong, they downplay it. And it's like, no, just like listen to what's going on. Like if your foot hurts or if your hip hurts, let's address it now because you being able to run this the race this weekend might prevent you from running the rest of the season. So let's just take a step and address what's going on as opposed to trying to plow through the season just so that way you don't miss out on anything because missing out on one week is way better than a month of training. Absolutely. And so, you know, talking about again, kind of, you know, doing some coaching, you're working. How do you find that extra time for, for your own running to, you know, train for these ultras or or whatever, you know, goals you're trying to reach? Outside of COVID times, <laughs> right. I typically wake up at 5.30 and I'm running by 6. Um, luckily, my job is super flexible. And so I can come into work at 7 a.m. or 10 a.m. or anytime, really, as long as I'm getting everything done and I'm working my allotted hours. And so that's really nice because there have been a few times where I'm like, listen, life's coming up and I got to get a long run in before work on Thursday. So I'm going to come in at right 1030 because I need a little bit of time to resurrect before going into work and being professional right. after this. And they're like, okay, cool, whatever. And so that's been really nice. Um, when I was, so I, was assistant coach for a couple years with Sal. And then I had to move down to just volunteer status just because it was really challenging to get all the work in and be able to go out to Rio Rancho, especially because in environmental consulting, if my client calls me at three and I was hoping to leave, but they have a problem on a project, I have to stay and deal with it. And so that's where it becomes a little troublesome having that set schedule of like, Oh yeah, I'll be there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Well, it seems like you were trying to work it out as best as you can. So, uh, and and I want to touch back on the coaching here in a minute, but I, w- I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about the um, Topo Athletics Elite Team. How did that come about? Yeah, so I have been wearing Topo for about a year now, or like dabbling in them a little bit last spring. Um, my boyfriend runs for them and I explained some of my issues with the shoes I was previously wearing. And he was like, you should try these. I think a lot of what's going on will not be there if you're in topos. And so I tried a couple of shoes. I'm like, yeah, they're really comfy. They're working. And I just kept trying various models and all of them worked. And it was just really nice to finally be in a, a shoe company where it didn't matter what model I was in. It fit really well. And I really enjoyed the shoe. Whereas previously, I think there was just some, like I have a really narrow foot. And so that's kind of troublesome because you don't want too much room in the shoe. Otherwise it's a sloppy fit. And so being able to find a shoe company that kept the wider toe box with a great fit in the midfoot and the heel was just something I couldn't pass up. And so we started kind of talking to them a little bit about what I could potentially work out. And luckily they were able to, you know, offer me a contract. And so I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah. I think anybody, you know, being able to run for, you know, a a team, a shoe company, I, I know there's a lot of people that it would be a dream of theirs. So that's pretty exciting for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's a dream of mine. I think, 
you have those little goals of like, oh, it'd be really cool to be sponsored. But, you know, as much as like, I, you know, not that this is like self-doubt moment, but it's really hard to be like, will the timing work out? Will I be able to hit the right race at the right time and have the company recognize me? And so it's just really great to know that it's like worked out and, you know, we can, we can only go up from here. <laughs> well, and it, it is, uh, it's something I've talked about, you know, a little bit on here where it, it's such a difficult position. You, you leave college and it is kind of, you know, unless you're one of those handful of really good college athletes, you're, you're not going to get a sponsorship or, you know, be joining a team right away. And so being stuck kind of in this, well, I feel like I still have something left to give this, I mean, kind of sub elite, I guess, kind of category, it, it can be really rough to kind of navigate and, um, and get, and get to the point where you're at now. So, um, I think that's pretty, again, it's just pretty amazing that you're, you're able to, to experience that. Yeah. I think a lot of runners when they graduate from college, they have this moment of like, now what, you know, especially if they're not automatically getting contracts or maybe they weren't in the top 10 at nationals, but they're still really outstanding runners. And I really missed the aspect of the team when I first graduated. And luckily I was able to join a few long runs once in a while, but that's a really hard adjustment going from a team dynamic where everyone has very similar goals to just being out in no man's land and trying to motivate yourself to do the hard work, even when it's raining or it's, you know, three feet of snow on the ground or whatnot. So I definitely think that's something that maybe needs to be part of the, um, they, we, like we do exit paperwork for like health purposes in college, but I really think that they should do more of like a, mental health side of it as well because it is really challenging to go from such an intense environment to now you're on your own island good luck right i I think it's it's um yeah i mean we we tie ourselves for better or worse i mean anybody you know you tie yourself to what you're doing and it can be very hard to say well if i'm not a runner what am i right And I graduated in December because I decided to use my fifth year of eligibility for cross country kind of for this reason of I was graduate. I was supposed to graduate the following May. I was on track. And the day before you could not drop a class, I dropped and was like, I know I'm going to have these Uncle Rico moments of what if I would have just done another season. And so I just decided that's what I needed to do. Otherwise, I was always going to fixate on this thought. And so the plus side was I was able to get another season and it was a great season, but the downfall was, is I graduated alone. And so I know some of my other teammates where you graduate in that pod, that's at least comforting because then they're able to text one another and be like, man, this really sucks. Like I miss you guys so much. And I just felt like the graduate that was hanging around sometimes being like, anyone want to run? Cause <laughs> running alone every day sucks. <laughs> And I, so kind of on that note, when you moved here, obviously you you run with the Dukes now. Um, How did you, how did you find them and and become part of that group? A couple weeks after moving here, I went into heart and soul and actually filled out an application because I was like, well, would, you know, I have the availability to work a couple jobs since I don't have friends. I might as well (laughs) make a few bucks. (laughs) And uh, Jesse happened to be working and was like, oh, you and my wife should be friends. You should come to this 5K tomorrow. A bunch of us are racing and like some of us are just jogging around the cheer. And it just kicked off from there. And they, him and Arlene have always just welcomed me in like family. And so that really helps. I, I think they welcome anybody that moves into their family. It, it, they're, they're just amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, they definitely are. So that's, that's, that's pretty amazing that it just kind of, you know, just kind of happened like that just so quickly. Um, I'm sure that made that transition into Albuquerque just that much easier for you. Yeah, their, their support really helped and having that structure of 
you know, we're always running together on Saturdays and Sundays. Come if you're available. Like that was really great. And then, so I was in Corrales for a few months when I first moved here, but then in the fall, I moved close to UNM and was able on the weekdays to run with some people as well. And that was a huge boost being able to see people outside of work during the week. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously 2020 was a, an interesting year (laughs) as far as (laughs) so many things, but you know, virtually no races, um, very few if there were. And so what do you kind of have on the horizon or what are you hoping for, for 21, 2021? We're kind of, you know, got some vaccines. We're hoping that things are going to get a little bit better, you know, and, and so if things stay on that path, what are your goals or what are you hoping to to be a part of um, for 2021? In 2021, I will be racing a 55K in March down in St. George. It's the Red Mountain 55K. And then that will follow be followed by Lake Sonoma 50 mile out in um, California. And then I'm not 100% sure what we'll be doing in the summertime. Sometimes I like to just go play in the mountains and not have a lot of stress of training. <laughs> so I'm dabbling with the idea of maybe Trans Rockies or go home and do Burning River 50 mile. Or there's potential that Lake Sonoma might be in September due to COVID right now. And so if that's the case, and I would probably start having to train for that in July so maybe do something at like Bryce Canyon Ultras instead in May. And so it's a little flexible right now. Like Red Mountain is a for sure. But after that, I think we'll just have to determine on what Lake Sonoma does. And have you ever thought of jumping back down into just a road marathon just to see what you have? Yeah, so I actually was signed up for Chicago this year and I was oh. really jazzed to go all in. I'm like, oh, good. I'm going to go to the well because uh, in 2019, I came back to the Cleveland Marathon and was like, this is my only DNF. I'm going to finish this. It does not matter what it takes. <laughs> and I was so fit. But of course, it was like 85 and 100% humidity and just, oh. yeah. So around mile, I think 18, I looked down at my watch and was doing the math. I'm like, so if I go to the well and then dig some, I might break three hours, but I also have a 50 mile in five weeks. So why not go play in the sprinklers that people have set up in town and just ride it in. <laughs> and so I, I ended up running like 309, which I can't be upset about, but it was kind of like, oh, if only the weather would have been 60 degrees, like it said it was a week out from the race. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would love to jump in another marathon. We actually were just talking about this yesterday of how to try to fit a fast marathon into a buildup. Um, I obviously couldn't do it with a super climbing race, like right. for instance, like UTMB that climbs like 40,000 feet or something. I definitely couldn't run a road marathon in that buildup, but something like Javelina or JFK where it's really runnable terrain, I think I could get a marathon in there. Well, I'll be definitely interested to uh, to see what comes for this year for you, for sure. Um, I think this is a good place to kind of wrap up. So I do want to ask you the same question I ask everybody, and that is, what are you listening to to kind of get you pumped, get you moving, get you out that door, or, you know, just during the day? <laughs> I have a playlist on my Spotify that is some very odd concoction of old Kanye, Eminem, but Lady Gaga, and then Kid Cudi. <laughs> so <laughs> anything and everything, really. Um, the uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy from Kanye West, that album's always motivating. But yeah, it's just a, a weird concoction of good music. <laughs> I, I enjoy some Kid Cudi, and I've got some friends who they swear by that that Kanye album for sure. Oh, yeah. No, it's a solid one. (laughs) So, all right. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, This has been a great conversation. I I think there's definitely things we can dive into more. And um, 
I, I, I may have you on again here soon um, over something else you've got going on soon that just hinting a little bit at. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? No, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at RunningNewMexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.